Hi, this is Serge Corjan coming to you live from ACC 2017. I'm pleased to be joined today by uh, Dr. Reardon, who's here to tell us a little more about the results from the Sertavi trial. Dr. Reardon, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on the trial. Very, very exciting results. Yeah, we're excited to get it out. We think the results are great. Thanks to move the field forward. Exactly. Um, so we know, uh, of course, that um, TAVR is preferred over um, surgical intervention for patients who are high risk mm -hmm. and patients who have increased mortality at 30 days. It's, it's superior to uh, mm -hmm. surgical intervention. Tell us a little more, give us a little more background about um, why you decided to do this trial in intermediate patients. Well, so as you mentioned, we, we know for people that we can operate on, TAVR is better than medical therapy. We know for the self-expanding valve, it was actually superior to surgical therapy, but less was known as we moved down the risk scale into intermediate and lower risk patients. So SIRTAVI was a trial that was designed to recruit intermediate risk patients that had symptomatic spheric stenosis and randomize them one-to-one -one against surgery to see how we'd do, to look for the efficacy and the safety in an intermediate risk population. And tell us more about the study design. So the study design is has got a unique Bayesian statistical design, uh, and we what the way this what happens is that the local heart team will recruit people that have a estimated surgical mortality between three and fifteen percent. That mortality is estimated on a basis of your STS score as well as your clinical status, which included frailty, disabilities, and comorbidities. And if you had that and you met the inclusion exclusion criteria, then it got uploaded to a national screening committee so they could then check and make sure they agreed. And if, you, if the national screening committee agreed, then you were available for randomization. Everybody was seen by neurologists as they entered the trial and randomization was stratified according to uh, the need for revascularization. People were randomized one-to-one -one between TAVR with a core valve or an Evolute. This is mainly a first-generation trial. 84% of the people end up with a first-generation core valve, and only 16% end up with an Evolute, although 94% were done transfemorally, which is kind of another unique part of this trial. So once we, once we enrolled these people, once we, got to, once we got to 1,400 people at one year, this Bayesian statistical design had allowed us to calculate that with 1,400 people at one year, with an absolute non-inferiority of 7%, with a 17% event rate in the surgical control arm, that we could then reach a, then we could then do an interim analysis of our data and with an 80% power come up with an answer. So when 1,400 people in this trial reached one year, half the people had reached two years. Of those people that reached two years, we looked at their event status and when they reached their event status. That informed our, uh, our construction of a statistical model of, of how people went from zero to two years. And then we looked at the other half that had not made two years. And we looked at their last event status, their last follow-up, and we applied the statistical model to them and we then basically imputed them forward to two years. So now we have everybody at two years. Then we took the half that had known data at two years and the half that had imputed or calculated data at two years, so we now have a complete data set at two years. That data set then is, undergoes a Bayesian analysis, and we, we generate what's called a posterior probability curve. Now, we, once we've done that, we've done it once. We repeated that 100,000 times with a Monte Carlo-like simulation, generating 100,000 posterior probability curves. Those curves are then averaged together to integrate out some of the uncertainty that comes with imputing data. You come up with one final posterior probability curve. And if the area under that curve to the left of the non-inferiority border was greater than 0.971, then we knew we met our endpoint with an alpha error of less than 0.05. And that was the interim analysis and the, and the data safety monitoring board looked at that and said, you made your endpoint. When we made the endpoint, that's when they released the data to me in December of this year. 
and we then could go through the actual calculation, and for the primary endpoint of all-cause mortality or disabling strokes at two years, the posterior probability was greater than 0.999. And so for those that need Kaplan-Meier and p-values, you can subtract that from one and get an approximate p-value of less than 0.0001. So we made our, we made our primary endpoint with tremendously good statistical numbers. And the TAVR numbers, which were 11.4, 11.6, I mean 12.4, 12.6 at, at two years, versus surgery, which is 14, not only was it statistically non-inferior, but it was numerically nest. So we like to see our numbers of non-inferiority to be actual less numbers, because that gives us good confidence. Now the other thing that's really interesting about this trial is look at the 30-day surgical mortality. The 30-day surgical mortality was 1.7% with an STS of 4.5. That gives you an observed to expected ratio of 0.38. That's lower than we've ever seen in any other trial. Partner 1A was 0.68, core valve high risk 0.61, and partner 2A, if you do intent to treat, it's 0.71. If you do as treated, which matches our modified intent to treat, basically, it's 0.80. Mm. These aren't bad out outcomes. These are good outcomes, but this trial has extraordinarily good surgical outcomes. Surgical outcomes that are so good, we're unlikely ever to see a match, much less beat. And even so, when you go forward two years to the mortality, the mortality for TAVR, 11.4, the mortality for surgery, 11.6, TAVR is numerically less than surgery, against the best surgery we've ever seen. And the one and two year mortality we, we see is the lowest we've ever seen in, in our US randomized trial, which probably means we're slightly down the, the risk curve, a little bit lower than P2A, it means we're getting closer to low risk, where it should even be harder for TAVR to compete, and yet TAVR did this well. And then you look at the 30-day safety outcomes. Statistically less stroke, statistically less transfusion, statistically less kidney injury, statistically less cardiogenic shock, and statistically less atrial fibrillation for TAVR. Oh, and by the way, your KCC quality of life, statistically better at one month. Oh, by the way, your, your procedure time's less, your ICU time's less, your hospital time's less. Oh, and by the way, your six-minute walk is better. So not only do we hit our, our endpoints with really great mortality against the best surgery, we have all these 30-day safety endpoints. We get better faster. We leave the hospital faster. I would say this is a very positive trial for TAVR. Very interesting results. What were the things that were um, you know, tipping the scales towards surgical rather than TAVR? What were the things that you saw in terms of complications with TAVR? Yeah, so, so not everything's unicorns and rainbows, you know, obviously there are some things that, so there's still more paravalvular leak in TAVR than there is in surgery. So, so at, five, at two years it was 5% for TAVR, moderate, severe versus basically less than one in surgery. Now remember, this was 84% first generation valve and only 16% EVLUR. We know from, from what Ganesh Monahan published in Europe, what Jeff Popmas published in the US, that the paravalvular leak rate for, for Evolute tends to be about between 3.5 and 3.8. It wasn't that low, but again, Evolute was only introduced in the U.S. and only introduced late in the trial. When we get more, it should be better. Remember, today you saw the first results for the third generation, Evolute Pro, which is Evolute with an external wrap. The pacemaker rate, 10%. Mild to trace paravalvular leak, three quarters. Mild, one quarter, nothing above that. Starting to look a lot more like a surgical valve. Pacemakers, higher than we'd like, 25%, just as high for Evolute, 25%, a little bit disappointing. Again, small numbers, but we also know from the European data and the US data that pacemakers and Evolute tend to be between 12 and 16%. But I do think as we move forward, PVL and pacemakers are engineering problems that we're eventually gonna eliminate.
Excellent. I think this will continue to move forward as the technology improves as well. Absolutely. Um, how do you think this will change practice? Well, I think it's going to, I think it's going to change practice in a couple of ways. First of all, we already have one valve that's commercially available. It's, the S3 is available for intermediate commercial use. That's great. It's a great valve, great data. I think this data is so strong, the FDA is likely to approve this and hopefully approve it very quickly. That's going to make a difference for me as a cardiac surgeon and you as a tavern planter because now for intermediate risk, we have two choices to use. That increases the tools in our toolbox. The more tools you and I have, the more options we can offer our patients. The more options we can offer our patients, the more help we can give them, and that's a good thing. The other thing, as you know, the guidelines just changed. So tavern for high risk has moved to a class one indication. And for intermediate risk, it's moved to 2A. Why 2A? Because there was only one trial. Now there's two okay. trials. I expect it to go to a class one. For somebody that just that's watched this field start about a decade ago, that's unbelievable. And what do you think the next steps are? Well, the next step is we got to do our low risk. So there's two low risk trials right now. There's, there's the partner the partner three. Marty Leon and Michael Mack are running that. And there's Evolute Low Risk with Jeff Potman and I are running together. Getting these low-risk trials, we're currently enrolling. We're actively enrolling. We're about a quarter way through right now. Uh, getting this low-risk answer is going to be crucially important. It's getting harder to get my surgical brethren to give up these cases. It wasn't hard to give, get them to give up high risk. These were pretty high-risk cases. Intermediate risk was a little, little less hard, but you know, low risk, this is bread and butter. But if we don't do this, we're not going to get the answer. The other big thing is bicuspid valves. We gotta do some bicuspid tri valve trials. They're a big part of what all of us are seeing. People are treating them commercially, but we're not gathering the data where we learn not only how are they gonna do it, but what's the best way to do it? How do we learn together as a field? Dr. Rudin, thank you so much for joining us and congratulations on the trial and the results. Well, thank you, it's my pleasure. I think this is gonna move the field forward. Very excited. And thank you everybody for watching us live from ACC 2017.